what I'm about to do, we never do, okay? At least not during this time. This church is committed to a very careful exposition through books of the Bible. There's years and years and years of that online if you want to hear what we usually do. Uh, but we are at a unique moment in the life of our church where in the next few weeks we are going to need to transition from this facility into our next lily pad to jump on, so to speak. And uh, so I want to kind of give us a biblical frame of how to think about that. And then I want to tell you about the two doors that the Lord has opened up and uh, why I think He's leading us toward a certain one. And then we'll take a few questions and then spend some time praying. Uh, and then might have time for a couple of spontaneous testimonies. We'll have to see how that goes, but uh, that's what we're going to do for the next few minutes. So if you've got a Bible, uh, I want to refer you to Numbers chapter 13, okay? Numbers 13. And that's the text we're going to be in. But really, more than that, I want to take you to a place, a place in the Bible, a place that is captured by this picture. It is Kadesh Barnea. And it is a place that was in southern Israel, where the wilderness of Paran and the wilderness of Zin, uh, they both laid claim to this area. It also served as a southern border to Canaan and a western border under the Edomites' control. Uh, the Old Testament actually mentions this place 10 times and simply calls it Kadesh. Uh, 14 times it comes up other places, but some significant things happened there. Moses' sister Miriam died there. Numbers chapter 20 tells us that. Moses' brother Aaron died there. Numbers 20 tells us that. But Israel also camped there for quite a while. Deuteronomy 1 tells us that. But the real significance of this place comes from two strategic decisions that were made there. And if I'm honest with you, neither one of them was great. And both of them led to significant consequences. Let's work backwards. In Numbers 20, Moses, after leading the people for quite some time, was in a situation where they didn't have any water. And God told him to speak to the rock, and he would provide water miraculously. But Moses was fed up and tired, and the people had rebelled, and so on and so forth. And he got frustrated, and instead of obeying God by speaking, he smites or strikes the rock... And God is gracious and water comes forward, but he didn't do what God said, and therefore there were consequences, and he didn't get to go on in to the promised land with the rest of uh, some of the folks that were gathered there. So, it was a valley of decision, and a bad decision was made. <clears throat> but, the passage we're going to look at today, same place, another decision and let's just see what happens. Let's pick it up in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan. So this is the promised land. That God had said, I'm going to give you this. You're going to be my people, so on and so forth. And he said, Which I'm giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran. According to the command of the Lord, all of the men who were the heads of the people of Israel... And then verses 4 through 16, you get the names of those who went. Then in verse 17, you get some of the instruction that Moses gave his spies. It says, Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan. And he said to them, go up into the Negev and go up into the hill country and see what the land is. 
Whether the people who dwell there are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell, or if they are cities that they dwell in, or camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether the trees are in it or not. Be of good courage, and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now was the time of the season of the first ripe grapes. And then here it gets really juicy. Look at verse 25. And at the end of the 40 days, so they'd been gone for a while, a little reconnaissance mission. They returned from spying out the land, and, the, and they came to Moses and Aaron, those were two of their leaders at the time, and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation, and they showed them the fruit of the land. So this is a little show and tell. They've gone, they've done, and if you have a children's Bible somewhere, you probably see the, the great little picture of there's two little guys, they're all, you know, happy, they got these huge grapes on some kind of little pole between them, so that's what's happening. We came to the land which you sent us, it flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. So you don't have to be a rocket scientist to look at this and go, okay, well, they did what they were told. Thumbs up for that. And they brought back what they were supposed to bring back. So thumbs up for that. But they also assessed their obstacles, and they said implicitly here, there's just no way that we can do this. That we are not wanting to move forward. Verse 30, but Caleb, and what we know from some commentary research here indicates that Caleb was an old man at this time. It says, he quieted the people before Moses, and he said, let us go up at once. And occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. And then it gets explicit. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought out to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land though which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it were of great height. And we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. Now, there's a lot of debate on exactly who these people are here. Let's just say they were big and large and in charge. Giant-type people. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. And if you look through the rest of the story, what you find out is they decide not to go. And in fact, it gets so bad that they actually choose another leader and elect to go back to bondage in Egypt. This is a cautionary tale that led to their wandering in the wilderness for 40 years until all of the unbelieving generation that did not step into what God had declared for them perished and they didn't get to see the revelation of God's promise. Now, why would we be looking at this passage as a church? Well, let me tell you what it's not. I'm not saying to you that just over the hilltop is the promised land 
of a new location that has an amazing convenience store and some really good fruits and vegetables, but we're going to have to kill some other people to get it, okay? That is not the takeaway from what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that we too find ourselves in somewhat of a valley of decision, somewhat of a Kadesh Barnea. And so we need to look here and learn here a couple of things that the Lord has for us here that will help us not just as a church as we seek to move forward, but these two principles are going to help you as parents, they're going to help you as married folks, as single folks, as individuals, and most of all, they're going to help us toward Jesus. So let me make just a couple of observations that I think will help us here. The first one is this, that we should always go with what God says over what we feel. We should always go with what God says over what we feel. And let me tell you something. We feel all kinds of things. I was at a conference this past week up in Louisville, uh, a, a network that I have some connections with, got to visit with some other pastors, and let me tell you, like, there is not a guy in that room that was not in some status of disrepair, not a single one. And it would be very easy to look around at our historical moment, both as pastors and as people, and say, hey, you know what? We really endured through this awfulness that we're going to call 2020 plus, and I think we all thought when we Okay, eventually it's going to come back to the way it was in this magical year called 2019, right? Where you didn't have to think about all the things we have to think about now. But I'm not sure that time is coming back. This may be the way it is now. I hope not, but it may be. And I know this, that if we just go through life simply feeling we're going to be continually distressed continually discouraged, depressed, despondent, and the whole other list of debilitating things that will set back the mission of God and also the mission of God in your life. So we can't just go and navigate simply by feelings. We got to go by what God says. Now, in their case, it was very clear. God had given them a promise Go take this land. I'm going to be with you. I'm giving you this as a gift. But they came up to the edge of the line, and they looked over, and their very understandable fear kept them from stepping into what God wanted them to do. But it's really a tragic story at this point because God had something for them on the other side, and they needed to step into it. Now, again, does that apply one-to-one -to, -one to where we are at the church? No, it doesn't. But does it apply to where a lot of us are as individuals sometimes? Boy, I think it does. Because we are in this culture now that wars against the Bible, against Christian sexual ethic, against Christian parenting and how children ought to be pointed toward Jesus. You look at any way that the culture can come against where we are, and create this feeling within us that causes us to question what God says, it exists in every sphere of life right now. And my encouragement to you, 
by opposite example is let's not do what these people did. Let's step in to what God has for us as a church, as a family, as a single, as individuals. But that has to be built on what God says, not simply on how we feel through life. And of course, where does that come from? Well, it comes primarily from the Bible. So every week, week after week, we're talking about the Bible. We're talking about the Bible in community group, talking about the Bible in women's ministry, in men's ministry, so on and so forth. The church has got to remain anchored in the Scriptures because the culture is going to pull our little ship all kinds of different places that may feel right but are inevitably wrong. So we should always go with what God says over what we feel. Now let me give you some even better news. Because you know who's the master at that? Jesus. Jesus was the master of not simply going with his feelings, but by going with what God said. You know, there's one place in Jesus' life and ministry where he said, it is my food to do the will of the one who sent me. Think about that commitment to vision and clarity of purpose and all those things we want as an organization, all those things we want as a family, as individuals. Jesus has what we need. And as we stand in our own, Kadesh Barnea, got to make some decisions as a church, have to make infinite number of decisions as families and individuals, we need to go to Jesus because he's got what we need. Let me also tell you what he's got. He's got grace for every time we get it wrong. And when we do, like these Israelites, shrink back in fear and make poor decisions and have to deal with consequences. Jesus has grace for that. And when we fail and we go to him, hopefully it's very quickly, but he never looks at us and shakes his head in disgust and says, I just wish that you would have gotten it right this time. In fact, it's the exact opposite. He beckons us to come with our weariness, with our heavy ladenness, and figuratively speaking here, wraps his arms of love around us and helps us do better next time. And let me tell you one other good thing about Jesus here. Look back in your text about what Caleb said there. The one voice of reason against the craziness of we can't do this. You know who Jesus also is? He is the true and better Caleb. Because though Caleb's words were of passion and vision and encouragement for these Israelites this morning, or that morning, Jesus' words of that for us are even greater. Because he isn't just calling us to an earthly promised land. He is calling us toward an ultimate promised land, which he secured for us with his own blood. What did he say right before he left? He said, be encouraged. My father's house has many rooms. I have gone to prepare a place for you. And so we're just looking for a building as a church. But you need to know as individuals, there's a whole bunch of buildings. Maybe they're literal. Maybe they're figurative. But whatever is waiting for, in, for us in the ultimate promised land in heaven is going to be a lot better than a place to meet on Sundays. 
Let that encourage your hearts that the true and better Caleb is calling us toward the ultimate promised land. And he has the grace and the power to get us where we need to go. So when you look at it that way, it makes good sense that we should always go with what God says over what we feel. Let me give you one other principle here. Because I don't want to short sell the difficulty of what it would have been like for these people to step into what God had for them. I certainly don't want to short sell the difficulty that all of us have experienced in ministry over the past couple of years and experience now. But let me give you this news. Number two, even though doing what God says may be difficult, it is the path to the life that we really want. Even though doing what God says may be difficult, it is the path to the life that we really want. I don't know how many of you guys um, give two winks about the Lord of the Rings. Uh, I sort of care. Uh, I really cared a few years ago when the trilogy came out, and now I'm sort of into it that the, the, the new um, 2.0... Amazon version has come out. I know there's some mixed reviews about that, but we just watched, I don't know, episode six, seven, something like that. And there's this scene in there, and I, I can't keep up with all the names because the people that I learned from the first set of movies, apparently now they have like different names and it's different characters, and I'm just sort of lost. But I know this, there is a scene, okay? We'll go with this, where the elf guy leads this group of just like peasant people living out in the woods, and they have to leave their village, and they go over to what becomes their sort of Helm's Deep, even though it isn't some of this big gate thing, and they, they have to really get in it and fight all these orcs to even have a chance to preserve their homeland. And I tell you what, it might be, I won't spoil it for you here, but if you don't have a super strong stomach, you might want to fast forward through some of that. I mean, it's like fake CGI black orc blood, okay? But it's gross, some of the stuff that happens there. And even I was like, come on, we don't need to see that. Come on now. Anyway, but the point that I'm making is, even if you know what you need to do, it is going to be difficult to achieve it. These folks, I wish that they had stepped into the promised land and stepped up and listened to Caleb, but if they had done that, it would have been hard. Some of them would have perished, I guarantee it. And that's what happens in the, little, the, the, the scene that I'm telling you about. But it was worth it for them. And I think part of what we need to see here is there are some things that really were or really are worth the cost to play that game. For all of you who have come for years and set up in this cafeteria, it's been worth it. For all of you who have labored in the children's ministry for years, it has been worth it. For all of you that have spent countless hours around fire pits and in living rooms teaching the Bible and doing all the other things that makes refuge refuge, it has been worth it. it those things are going to matter in 10,000 years. And even though they were difficult, 
But that's the life we really want as Christians. We want to glorify Jesus. We want to help children build their lives on a foundation that will help them forever. We want to point people to Christ. So though it has been very arduous at times, it is still the path to the life that we really want. And we need to lean into that. And we need to be encouraged by it, that God has used all of us to play the parts that he's called us to play, and he is using refuge and continuing to use refuge and will use refuge in the future. Now, how does that point us to Jesus? Well, I hope it's obvious. But we follow the master that did the most difficult thing that could have ever been done, and though it looked like he failed... He succeeded and is now in glory. There were moments when it did not look like Jesus was thriving. You look at Jesus where all of his followers abandoned him. Did it look like he was winning? It didn't. When he was stripped naked before the whole world, when he had his beard pulled out and he was crucified publicly in front of everybody, did it look like he was winning? It didn't. But three days later, did it look like he won? (laughs) You better believe it. And even now in this world, as we are living in this tension between the already and the not yet, his kingdom is broken in, but it's not fully established. There are times when it does not look like he is winning, but friends, he is. And part of what we have the privilege to be a part of here is this difficult at times work of God that is still the path to life that we all really want. And part of what we are moving into is, I think, thinking through how do we continue to do that in a way that's maybe more sustainable? How do we continue to do that that allows us to really lean into some of our strengths even more? How can we do that in a place that honors what is already happening but also maybe takes a little bit of the burden off of some of our key servants? And how do we step further down this path that God has for us, even in its difficulty, but experiencing the life that we really want? Friends, Jesus is leading us on that path. Jesus is leading us on that path. Now, let me say that to transition into talking about the locations very briefly. So let's do this. Let's spend a few minutes praying, and then we're going to take the Lord's Supper and close out with a couple of songs. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that in that example, you showed us kind of what not to do so that we could lean in what we need to do. But more than that, you showed us how Jesus always knew what to do, and Jesus always did the right thing, and will help us when we are confused, when we aren't sure, when we fail, and even when we succeed. Lord, thank you for Jesus, and that we have a church that is founded upon Jesus 
and really cares about Jesus. Lord, we do pray that you would put us in this next place. Um, We pray from what we can see that you would open this particular door at Trinity Baptist and that you would give us wisdom uh, to know how to answer some of the ancillary questions that that presents to us. How do we do this? How do we do this, this, and this? Lord, but we know that in the same way that it seems that you have opened this door for us, those questions and wisdom for them, you'll be happy to answer them. You'll be happy to help us on the road ahead. Lord, I also pray uh, that we'd be able to finish well here, that you would give all of our servants strength to do what they do for your glory in this body, and that you would continue to let us see what only you can do in the life of refuge. And Lord, I pray that as you answer this prayer for us as a body, and as we encounter what we hope are minor obstacles on this journey, that we would look to you as the author and the finisher of our faith, as the ultimate pastor and leader of our church, and that you would guide us on this path. And Lord, I pray that as you do that in the life of our church, that you would also do that in the life of every family here, every single here, every individual here, that you would remind us all of the covenant-keeping, reliable, faith-worthy nature of who you are. And may you remind us most of the Lord Jesus. Because, Lord, what better place to see all of your faithfulness on display than the cross and the empty tomb and the gloriously risen Savior. So, Lord, even now as we enter into this time of communion, I pray that it would encourage our hearts, it would shape and change and inspire us, and that we would be spiritually nourished by this time that we have together. And we pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.